You can turn over in your Bibles to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter two. We started this last week and we just introduced our subject, our text of Second Thessalonians chapter two to us, and so we want to once again spend a little time here. Just want to wish all the moms a happy Mother's Day. Hope you're enjoying your day today. Husbands making it easy on them. They got a hard job, tough job. I don't know what my daughter's doing without her kids today. Boy, <laughs> she's probably heart sick and celebrating both at the same time. I'm sure. So, but we're blessed to have our grandkids with us this weekend. I think yesterday was wonderful, wasn't it, ladies? You had a, hopefully you had a good time, you had a wonderful time, and just appreciate everybody that uh, came out and served, the men and the women and uh, kids who were involved, and Lord, we, we just really thank the Lord for all his work um, getting that prepared. Uh, I don't handle things like that very well. I'm always a nervous wreck, and uh, <laughs> I tried probably driving my grandkids crazy yesterday in the kitchen. <laughs> making sure everything was good, and it was, so I had nothing to worry about, but worry got the best of me, as it does sometimes. Well, we want to turn our hearts to God's Word this morning, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, we introduced this last week, and we're going to be in this for a little bit of time. Uh, Paul here presents to us, we saw this last week, a man who is known and goes by the title of Antichrist. Antichrist. And as we introduced him last week, we said he's the most devilish, most wicked, most powerfully destructive human ever to walk on the face of the earth. And you think of there have been some pretty good uh, destructive human beings (laughs) on this earth over the years. You think of Hitler, Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, all these people. Uh, They don't hold a uh, candle to this individual. He is basically the culmination, the combination of all the satanic false prophets, false teachers, hypocritical liars, false Christs that have gone before him. But this will be a person here on earth. Uh, But his spirit precedes him, the spirit of Antichrist. And we talked a lot last week about how the spirit of Antichrist, the one thing that he desires to do is overthrow the plan and purpose of God and his salvation for those whom he has chosen to be saved. And from the very beginning, this is his plan, to overthrow it, to thwart the purpose and plan of God. Obviously, he does not succeed. Amen? Amen. (laughs) But we, at the same time, need to have a little, uh, say this loosely, but respect for someone as powerful as this who will be coming on the face of the earth. And so Paul here is writing to this struggling church, this persecuted church, this young church, and he brings up this subject matter of this one who will be coming. coming. And so I want to ask you to stand in honor of God's word. I'm just going to read the first five verses of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We read the whole chapter last week, but just five verses, and then you can have a seat. It says there in verse 1, Paul writes, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit, a spoken word, 
or even a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion or the falling away comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember, Paul writes, that when I was with you, I told you these things. Father, we come before you when we realize as believers the seriousness of this text that we just read, that we are fast approaching here on this earth the fulfillment of your prophetic plan. In this coming great day of the Lord, it's a very strategic passage that we're dealing with this morning. I pray that you would remind us about the dangers of deception that will soon be here and even are here now in spirit. And help us to remember the good news, the comforting news that you promised to catch a way to rapture the church before this day of judgment. As believers, we're not held to judgment. Christ took our judgment. And so I pray that you would help us understand. And we pray for those here even in our midst this morning that may be not sure if they died today, if they died right now, that they would be go with the Lord. Or if the Lord would come right now for his church, would you be left here in the pew by yourself as the others go to meet him in the the air? Maybe you don't have any confidence inside that you really know the Lord. Pray, Lord, that your spirit would draw these individuals to yourself before it's too late. We don't want anybody to be part of this coming day of deception. But Lord, we know the only way that that won't happen is if they put their faith, their trust in you and in your son for the forgiveness of their sins today. We thank you for what you're going to do in every heart. Help us to do what you tell us to do, to watch and to be ready because we don't know the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. We thank you in the wonderful name of our blessed Lord, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Paul introduces here this subject matter of the coming Antichrist, you notice, without using the word Antichrist. Paul doesn't use that word. John uses that word. And we, we looked last week at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, where John says that you have heard that Antichrist shall come. And he says there are many Antichrists right now in the world. But there is one individual who's the culmination of all those, the most wicked of all, who is going to come. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, John calls him the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit. And oftentimes in Revelation, that's who he's referred to as. The the Antichrist is referred to as the beast. Now we know the beast's final destiny, according to Revelation 19, verse 20, is what? The lake of fire burning with brimstone. That's where he will end up. He's not going to win this battle. Even though at times we shake our heads and think, are we sure? Yes, we're sure. Read the end of the book. We win. And you will win if you're on the right side, on the side of the Lord. Daniel 7, 8. And we're going to be looking at Daniel 9 this morning. You can actually turn there if you want, Daniel 9. 
But in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, it refers to this Antichrist, this coming Antichrist, this beast, as the little horn. The little horn. And it says that he has eyes, the eyes of a man and the mouth and a mouth and is able to speak great things. It means kind of braggadociously he's speaking great things about himself. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 23, it calls him a king of fierce countenance. Fierce countenance. And then in Daniel 9, 26, it says he's a king who can do according to his will. He shall exalt himself, and he will magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods. That sounds a lot, Daniel 9, 26, like what we just read out of uh, first, uh, or Second Thessalonians. This is what Paul maybe was referring to in his letter to the church at Thessalonica. So in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 15, he's called the foolish shepherd. The foolish shepherd. And in verse 17 of the same chapter, Zechariah 11, he's called the idle shepherd who leaves his flock. He's supposed to care for the flock. He leaves the flock. Now, when we think of antichrist, it's obviously, we talked about this last week, a compound word. It's made up of two words, anti, which in our English language means what? Against, right? If you're anti something, you're against something. Well, not so much in the Greek. In the original Greek language, the word anti can actually mean in, uh, kind of, uh, it can mean instead of or uh, taking over the place of. And so when you, when you stop and think of it that way, it's not so much that this man is against Christ. He is. He's against God and against the true Christ. But he's also coming in and he's presenting himself as an alternative, as a genuine Christ in his own presentation. He's a counterfeit, but he doesn't present himself that way. In the original language, anti can mean instead of. In, in the stead of, you could say. So when he says antichrist, he's saying, I'm against God, I'm against the true Christ, but put me in place instead. And guess what? It actually happens. There will come a day when he will look like Christ. People will look to him as Christ. It, it, it will look like he's bringing peace upon the earth. And so for peace to be brought upon the earth, things have to get pretty bad. And you look at world history and you see what's happening around the world today. There's not a whole lot of peace going on. Okay, there's, there's kind of rumblings of war. There's war going on now in Ukraine, Russia. But there's rumblings of war with China and Taiwan, all these different places, right? And all this is, is kind of a, a, a precursor to this world that turns chaotic, and there's wars all over the place. Well, this individual, the Antichrist, is going to present himself as a man of peace. And he's going to come on the stage, and he's going to speak marvelously, and everybody's going to like him, and they're going to look at him, and he's going to look wonderful, and they're going to say, wow, this is the guy. This is the man that we want to elect to do the job. And he's even going to have supernatural powers that he's able to do miraculous things to convince people that he is this chosen one, this Christ. And he will be accepted, according to the Bible, as the Messiah. Even though he's a counterfeit. There will people who will accept him as the Messiah. 
And a lot of these people, unfortunately, are going to be deceived. They're going to believe in someone who's the devil, but they're going to think they're believing in the Christ. Can you imagine such a thing? His true colors are going to be revealed quickly, but not at first. See, this is how Satan plays the game. He doesn't come into your life and go, hey, you know, I got all this fun. I want you to, you know, or I'm going to bring chaos into your life. And and this sin that I'm introducing to you, it's just going to make a wreck out of your life and follow me. No, he comes in as what? An angel of light. He comes in and says, hey, you know, don't listen to God. Follow me. Follow your emotions. Do what I want you to do. And then you'll be happy. Because after all, it's all about your happiness, right? That's what people believe today. Well, this individual is going to come on the scene, and he's going to seem like a man of peace. He's going to seem like he is Mr. Right for every possible situation in the world. And people are going to give him a whole lot of trust. And we have to lay this proper foundation as we enter into this section of Paul's letter, because really he doesn't even mention this individual down until verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. That day is a reference to the day of the Lord. Remember, now we were talking about the day of the Lord when we went through uh, 1 Thessalonians, and then at the beginning even of, of 2 Thessalonians, we mentioned it, and the day of the Lord is a day of Judgment. It's a day that where God unleashes his wrath and his judgment on a very much deserving world and earth. And because we who have put our faith, our trust in Christ, we are hidden from that judgment. We don't have to go through that judgment. It, w- it wouldn't make any sense to go through that judgment. Why? Because the Bible says that when Christ hung on the cross, he took our what judgment upon himself. He took our sins upon himself. And at the end, when he was done sacrificing himself, what did he say? It is, it is finished. He didn't say, oh, by the way, you, know, you still have to go through the day of the Lord, and you're, you Christians are going to be going through the tribulation, and you're going to be suffering like everybody else. No, no. That would not make theological sense. Now, there are good people that believe that on both sides. There's people that believe you're going to go through the tribulation. There's people that believe you're not. We here in this church believe that what Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is the rapture of the church, the snatching away of the church before that day comes. We believe that we are spared from the wrath of God. And if you doubt that, go back through the messages, and we supported all that. We can't go into that this morning necessarily. However, we will touch on it in the coming weeks. And so this man of lawlessness, as he's called the son of destruction, he is going to look like, wow, this is God's answer to our prayers. And in, in verse um, 9, if you look down just a little further, it says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all, look, power and false signs and wonders. So this individual is going to be able to woo the crowd with all his magic tricks and everything. And it's going to be very, very deceptive for those who will be here. Praise God, as the church, I don't believe we will be. 
I believe Scripture teaches very clearly that we will be snatched away. We will be taken away. And he is known by a lot of different names, and we looked at that last week. But just remember, 2 Thessalonians has three chapters, and we talked about this last week. In chapter 1, he talks about the severe persecution they're going through, right? They're a young church. Paul left them because he had the other work to do, and so they're very young in their faith, and all of a sudden they're having to do with all this persecution. And so chapter 1 deals with comfort for their persecution. And then we said chapter 3, if you jump to chapter 3, it deals with this insubordination that was going on. They were a great church, but they weren't perfect, okay? Some people were being unruly, called them busy bodies and things like that. They weren't doing the proper thing as the Lord. And so in chapter 3, for the severe insubordination, he gives them correction. But what's chapter 2 about? Chapter 2, when you read through it, really Paul was writing them to clear up some things because chapter 1, severe persecution chapter three severe insubordination chapter two is what severe confusion they had much confusion going on in their minds as believers and you say well concerning what concerning eschatology concerning the end times concerning how this will all play out and you say well why were they confused i mean i thought paul just said that he taught them all these things he did probably weeks if not months before these two letters aren't aren't a far distance. They're not years apart. Uh, First Thessalonians was written, and then probably weeks later, if not months, he wrote the second letter because he heard that there was some confusion going on, and he needed to correct it. And so what was their particular confusion concerning the end times? Somebody apparently indicated to them that the day of the Lord had already come, that they were living in the day of the Lord. Now, you can imagine them as a young group of believers, they're under severe persecution. It's not getting better. They put their faith in Christ, right? And the, the persecution increases. And they're probably wondering, what's going on? Have you ever wondered that in your own life? God, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to do my devotions. I'm trying to be honest. Trying to do everything that I should do as a Christian. And then you get what? You get slammed with more trials. You get slammed with persecution. You get slammed with tribulations, trials of various kinds. And sometimes you can wonder, God, is this, is this real? What's going on here? Because I thought I put my faith and my trust in you, and I thought my life was going to get better as a result. See, that's what we would call a false gospel. That's not the gospel Jesus preached. We heard some testimonies yesterday by some ladies, and they indicated that, wow, when they came to Christ, everything changed. But they still have trials. They still have doubts. They still have tribulations that come into their lives. Why? Because that's the hand that God uses to grow us in our faith. Don't believe the lie. Oh, you come to Jesus, then you just skip down the road and, you know, through the roses and sing you know, Mary, Mary had a lamb or something. I don't know. You know, you don't have to, that's not, that's not what the gospel says. And yet we hear it all over the place. You know, we hear it from people on TV, you know, pushing this health and wealth and prosperity gospel, which is a lie from, from the pit of hell itself. That's not the true gospel. The true gospel says when you come to Christ, guess what? You better understand, and we've been talking about this on Wednesday night. If you, if you haven't been there, I encourage you to come still because we're in a series on discipleship and we're looking at what it means to be a disciple of Christ. 
And you may be sitting here this morning thinking, well, I'm a disciple of Christ. I challenge you to come out on Wednesday night and find out, are you really? Because Jesus says, it's not going to be easy. You want to follow me, you better be ready to take up your cross, which isn't a gold little thing you hang around your neck, ladies. It's an instrument of death. It was used to kill people in a horrific fashion, like our Lord. He said, you take up your cross, and you do it, what, daily, he says. <laughs> you die to yourself over and over again. See, so many times we think, oh, I came to Christ when I was three. You know, I raised the hand, I walked down the aisle, and, 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 and sometimes that's people's testimony. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I came to Christ when I was two. You know, I, I was in a Sunday school class, and the teacher asked me, you know, if I wanted to be a Christian, I raised my hand. That does not make you a Christian, my friend. It doesn't. Don't believe that. You know, what, my, my question to people that answer that way is, well, what, what has God done for you lately? <laughs> if you have to go back 5, 10, even 25 years to give me your testimony, you got a problem. You might want to start examining your own heart. Because our life as a disciple of Christ is active. It's something that we do every day. We die to ourselves daily. We follow him daily. That means every waking moment, we're constantly processing, is this what God wants me to do? Or is this what I want to do? Now, sometimes what God wants you to do is what you want to do. That's the grace of God. But sometimes it's not. And the disciple says, you know what? I'd rather do this, but I know that God wants me to go this direction. So I'm, I'm willing to lay aside my desires, lay aside what I want for the cause of Christ. See, this is what being a disciple is. And this is what we're talking about on Wednesday night. Well, this young church here, they were very young in their faith. They had all this persecution going on, and they begin to ask themselves, wait a minute, I thought Paul said we were going to be spared this day of the Lord. And you say, well, why did they start thinking this? Well, it tells us in the text. It says in verse 2, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by, and then he says this, a spirit. And please know, there are spirits that can suggest things, put things in your mind, somehow influence you in a way that's not godly. Now, we don't like to spend a lot of time talking about spiritual warfare because when I look at spiritual warfare, we win. We already won through Christ. So I'm not saying there's a demon under every rock and every sin you do is, is a result of a demon. No, much of it is our own flesh. But please know and understand there is a spiritual world out there. There are such things as demons and they, they do strive to influence. They can't possess a Christian, but they do strive to influence us through various means with that antichrist spirit. To do things that are opposing Christ. So he says, whether it's a spirit, and then he says, a spoken word. I'm amazed sometimes at what people listen to. I've heard people tell me, and if you've done this, I'm not speaking of you, <laughs> okay? But even people in our own congregation have come to me and said, oh, have you ever listened to, and they'll say the name. And I'm thinking, yes, I have. And no, I do not listen to them now because they are a false teacher. But they think it's the greatest thing since buttered bread. 
Oh, but he, he looks so nice, and he talks so nice, and he makes me feel so good. He's a false teacher. And we can go down the list of people, okay? We're not here to do that this morning. But you have to understand that people are speaking in the name of Christ false things. There are teachers within the church that are deliberately saying things. They're pulling things out of context. They're painting the portrait of a gospel that they want you to see. And you say, well, why would they do that? Bottom line, it puts money in their pockets. It puts money in their pockets. I mean, you know, if, if, if you were a billionaire and you came up to me and I knew you were a billionaire and you had five or six mansions... And, you know, I made $20,000 a year and was barely able to scrap up enough money for food every day. And you came to me and said, hey, you know what? God will bless you if you'll, if you'll give me $100. <laughs> God's going to bless you. He's going to get you out of your poverty. I mean, common sense would say, no, I'm not giving you my $100. Why don't you give me $1,000? You got a billion. I mean, that's what common sense would say, right? But see, when the spirit of Antichrist gets in these people and, and they start to believe these lies, there are people who are nearing bankruptcy who are sending these false teachers money every month. And they think somehow by doing so, God is going to bless them. He will not. You will continue in your financial issues barely able to pay your rent, barely able to feed your kids, barely able to do all that, while they live high on the hog, flying around in their Lear jets and going to their different homes. And I mean, it, it's, it's incredibly irresponsible for any believer to give anything to anybody without first doing their homework. God has entrusted to you his resources your money is not your money, if, if, you know, if you understand what I'm saying. It's not. It's the Lord's money. And he's saying, yeah, here, I bless you with this job, and, and you can have the increase of, of your salary and, and do very well here on this earth. But just remember, this is my stuff, right? And it's on loan to you. You're not going to take this into eternity with you. See, that's not what you hear. Oh, no, no. Just give me your money, and God will repay you fivefold. Okay, and they pull various scriptures out to say that. These are our false Christ. These are people who are false teachers. And see, the, this, this young group of believers was having an issue with that. It was either by a spirit or a spoken word, and then the real brunt of the issue here, verse 2 he tells us, or a letter, somebody actually wrote this church a letter. And they said, you know what? I know how we'll get these, these people confused and uh, get them away from the true gospel. We'll write a letter and then we'll sign it, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And we'll tell this, these people that are, that are suffering, you know what? You missed it. You, you didn't get the third letter from Paul. Okay, and that letter says, oh, you know what? I was wrong about the rapture. By the way, you're going to go through the day of the Lord. And as a matter of fact, you're in the day of the Lord right now. I mean, can you imagine as a young believer, your, your mentor, you think, sends you a letter recounting 
or recalling everything that he said previously about the rapture and sparing you from the judgment. And now he says, oh, by the way, you're going to go through it and you're in it even now. And that's what he says, seemingly to be from us, this letter to the effect. What did the letter say? Oh, the day of the Lord has already come. And so what Paul is doing is he's writing them and he's saying, no, no, no. Do not listen to this. Don't listen to the Spirit. Don't listen to somebody who's speaking these words to you. And especially don't listen to this letter that's floating around. Some of them worried that they missed the rapture. We are here in class one there was eschatology class and they were talking about end times and they thought they'd play a prank on the the professor, and the whole class brought in all their clothes. They laid them out very neatly in each little seat. <laughs> and then when the professor walked in, all, all, all was there were the clothes. I mean, right down to the underwear, everything. It was crazy. And, you know, it caused them to pause a little bit. Can you imagine if you showed up for church here Sunday morning, maybe a little late, and you walked in, it's just a bunch of clothes in the, in the pews with maybe a couple individuals going, what, what, what just happened? See, I don't want you to be in that situation. God doesn't want you to be in that situation. That's why it's important to understand that your faith has to be in Christ and in Christ alone. Now, this Antichrist spirit that was presenting this letter and these, these false, false teachings, uh, Paul basically is reminding them, look, I told you in the first letter you're going to be raptured. I told you in the first letter that you're, not of, you're of the day, you're not of the night, so you don't have to undergo God's judgment during this time of tribulation, the day of the Lord. And now he says, let me give you another reason because it seems that you're still not clear on this. You're not in the day of the Lord. And you know why? And he tells us because the one who is coming is not here yet. He says, let no one deceive you in any way, verse 3, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And what he's saying is very, very clear. And he talks about this, this uh, coming lawless one. And how will we know that it's time for him to come? Well, there's going to be a, some translations say an apostasy. Some translations say a rebellion. We're going to talk about this either the end of this message or next week and tell you exactly what I believe Paul is referring to here. I don't believe it's a religious rebellion. I don't believe it's a religious falling away. And so he's, he's basically clarifying some issues here. Now, to lay the proper groundwork last week, I said, I gave you the homework, read Daniel chapter 9. You remember that? So I said, hope you spend a little time in Daniel chapter 9. We're going to specifically look at verses 24 to 27. But as, as I was reading this, Daniel last week, Daniel 9 it's such a good chapter. I mean, I'm going to have to teach you Daniel now. I know that, and we'll do that in the coming, when we, maybe when we're done with this. I don't know. But there's so many books that I need to teach through. But this is one of them, Daniel, because we've done some work in Daniel, but we haven't done the entirety of Daniel yet. And so maybe we can do that in the future. But I want us to look at Daniel chapter 9 as a precursor, as laying a foundation for our work 
in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, the Old Testament there, Daniel chapter 9. And just to give you a little brief setting here, the children of Israel are in this, um, the Babylonian captivity. They're getting toward the end of it. Daniel is praying, and he starts praying in the first part of this chapter in verse 1, and he's asking God really to fulfill his plan for Israel. And he confesses, and he says, all these things. And we're actually going to read the whole chapter or this, this chapter because it, it really pertains, I think, to our own country when you read it. It's amazing. I mean, you can just, wow, just bring it right over and go, yeah, this makes sense. And you'll find out when we, when we read through this. And so he's pleading for God to do your plan to bring them back, to restore them because there's been a falling away. And the answer comes when um, God sends Gabriel a messenger from God, an angel, with the answer and gives Daniel in basically uh, verses 24, 25, 26, 27, his entire plan for Israel. He gives the whole thing. It's, it's, it's amazing, an amazing portion of scripture. So I want you to follow along this morning as we begin in verse one of Daniel nine, and we're just gonna read down through it and make some comments as we go, and then we'll uh, highlight six things that God is gonna do here in verse 24. In the first year of Darius, the son of uh, Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books of 